Our scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. We will be telling the story from different places around the sanctuary. Listen for the word of God. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul! Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias! He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you to our scripture readers uh, for helping tell this story. So I love the story, and it's a fun one to hear. Uh, But we have Saul experiencing this wild transformation while on the Damascus Road. Saul, who had been so fearful of Jesus and his followers that he began to put them in prison, uh, then became later Paul, one of Jesus' biggest supporters I mean, what a huge transformation. I think everyone experiences some kind of transformation in their life 
Earlier, we saw in our face sharing, our Autobots becoming, you know, our Transformers, becoming cool sports cars. Or if you think of a caterpillar and the process um, it has as it becomes a butterfly, or perhaps it's each of our inevitable transformation um, from one awkward phase of adolescence to another. Um, you know, my awkward phase began in about fifth grade, and depending on who you ask, um, you know, finished sometime in middle school, maybe high school, maybe still going on. It's hard to say. Um, you know, sometimes these transformations are so palpable, we literally watch them happen. And other transformations are slow. You don't even realize how much has changed until you reflect upon where you started. Today, two of our high schoolers are going to share stories from their lives about their own transformation. So first, we'll welcome Jessica Ship. That's a really fun way to start. Um, hi, I'm Jessica, um, and this is my story. I'm a military child, um, which means my dad was deployed for a little over two years of my life, which actually affected me a lot. I remember they used to give kids a little doll that you could put a picture in the face of it while your family member was gone, and it was called a daddy doll. I would have been about six or seven-ish while my dad was deployed for the fourth time, which is the only time that I remember. And I remember a lot of really, really happy moments with my mom during this time because she was amazing. But I also remember a lot of crying about the fact that I didn't get to hug my dad every day after he came home from work, and I really barely saw him at all. I used to have really terrible nightmares about him not coming home or being handed a flag at his funeral. It's something I still deal with to this day. Mom would tell me to remember that God is watching over him in real life and in my dreams, and that God's my protector. This is one of the first moments that I can remember of using God as my shield and as my comfort. This knowledge that God was watching over my family, despite how far apart we might have been, gave me strength that a daddy doll just never could. I became a lot closer to my mom while my dad was deployed. One thing she did was she made me listen to a lot of country music. Specifically, this one Lone Star CD that had a song called I'm Already There on it. I distinctly remember we would ride to church almost every single Sunday and listen to that song, bawling pretty much the whole way there. It had lyrics that reminded me of both God and my dad. I'm the sunshine in your hair, or I'm the shadow on the ground. These lyrics reminded me that God was there with me through this. God gave me hope and something to believe in during these hard times. Knowing God was there is one of the most powerful and comforting things you can ever know, and it's something that I still carry with me. I'm not seven anymore, but I still go through a lot of struggles. School's hard, relationships are really hard, life, quite frankly, can be kind of hard sometimes. But the lessons I learned about God during that time in my life when my dad was deployed helped me through that. God is who I turn to because I know he is the one who will always be by my side. Hi, I'm Emily Call, as most of you all know. Um, and I'm here to talk about something that happened last summer that dramatically affected my faith. Faith is kind of a funny thing. Um, it grows as we grow. And I was looking back at my eighth grade faith statement while I was trying to write this, and it's a little bit crazy how much or how different I am than even just a couple years ago. 
Back then, I saw faith as safe. Not just a refuge, but completely safe. Like nothing bad could ever happen. Last summer, I was a counselor at Massanetto. It was one of the most amazing two weeks of my life. I can barely explain the community I formed there and how, glo- and how close I was to God's presence. And it was challenging, but oh so rewarding. My faith was stronger than ever. But this isn't the, my transformation. It actually came a month later. One of the friends that I made on this trip had died in a car crash. How could something like this happen? I found myself questioning God, and the safe option seemed to be really risky. How could everything that seemed so perfect suddenly crumble? Life is full of conflict. You can't have bad and, or good without having the other. And faith is full of conflict as well. I don't have all the answers. I probably don't even have most of the answers. But I still have faith. And faith isn't safe. Faith is risk. We have to risk giving up control, giving up safety to follow God. Everything isn't always going to be perfect, and we have to accept that and learn that God is always going to be there, even when we're going through something. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Emily. Um, It takes a lot to stand up here. Um, I'm very proud of both of you. So these transformations and experiences of God look different in each of our lives, as you heard in those two stories. And if we asked each of you, uh, there would be a myriad of stories that we heard. And I think we truly benefit from telling these stories and listening to each other's stories. One of the largest and slowest transformations of my own life began when I was only six or seven years old. I grew up with a mom, a dad, three siblings, lots of dogs, an occasional gerbil, and a set of grandparents in Kansas and a set in England. I remember going to our church's annual picnic and watching the deacons versus elders volleyball game and then realizing that it was all men, which meant there were no female deacons or elders in my church. Later on, I realized that my mom would leave music for children's church time, but never during the regular worship service. As I grew older, I myself was occasionally permitted to sing a special song in worship, but never to lead anything else in the service. My mother is English, and nearly every summer of my adolescent life, we spent the majority of it in England visiting my grandparents. Every Sunday, we would attend the Baptist church in Weston Village. While my mother had grown up going to the Baptist church in Blaby Village, the church her grandfather had pastored in her teenage years at some point, she began attending Weston instead, as it was younger, a little more hip with the times. So I say Baptist, and you think Southern Baptist, uh, but the Baptists there are very different. Uh, my, one of my mom's best friends, Diane, was and is an elder in that church. The older I grew, the more I began to question the contrast in the empowerment of female voice and leadership at Weston versus the diminished one I experienced in my home church. During my sophomore year of high school, my home church went through a major fracture. There was a lot of pain and discord as our head pastor resigned 
our youth pastor was asked to leave, and with him took a major uh, group of people from our congregation with him. Amidst my high school career, my singing voice seemed to be highly valued in the praise band, but my speaking voice was never valued at the same level. So as I went on to college, I was gratefully and gracefully placed in the presence of some very radical, for me at the time, empowering female voices, some of them in formal ministry, others who were professors, classmates, and friends. Now, if you were looking at my life as some kind of timeline where you have lines on it marking moments, uh, this would be a moment that was marked for me. I came to a mental place where my whole voice was being valued in a way I had never experienced before. As I left school and became a regular old young adult, um, I've continued to be empowered by women older and younger than me, many of whom are in this church. I'm incredibly grateful uh, for the transforming love and grace of God in this journey of life. Uh, Though my childhood church offered me only a limited experience of God. It is where my faith journey began. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will always be thankful for the loving home my parents provided, for the bravery my mother showed me in crossing an ocean for love, and for the knowledge I now hold that God's love is transforming and empowering. My relatively young and female voice holds value here, and I consider it my role, my job, and my position to empower our young people so that they feel heard, that they have a voice in this church and in this community and in this world. I consider it such an honor to be present with our youth during Sunday school and casual gatherings and trips. Uh, There is something so special to me about being outnumbered by middle school or high school youth. To you, that may seem very intimidating, uh, but to me, it is one of the best things. Through my nearly eight years here at Riverside, I have had the privilege of being present with youth of this church through some of the brightest and darkest moments in their lives. I've been present amidst breakups and familial discord, as well as personal achievements and all the silly fun of those teenage years. One of the coolest things is being able to see our youth grow and change as they age. My first sixth grade class is now one year removed from high school. And for me to think of them and how far they have come and how much they have grown is one of the highest honors. Now we all know the older you get, the more and more you become independent and you get to choose what you do and where you go and who you spend time with. And it is my hope that I, as well as you, as other adults in this church, help influence this. I hope our youth learn from our kindness and from the grace and forgiveness that we extend to each other and to them. I hope they see us ask for forgiveness when we mess up And I hope they see us when we stand up for what we believe. They are young and sometimes goofy, and their brains are not fully developed, but they think and create and learn in ways we need and ways that we need to listen to. It's very common 
to hear this phrase of the young people are our future, or young people are the future of our church. And yes, they are our future, but they are the now as well. We must look for ways in which our young people challenge us, maybe bother us a little bit, but mostly challenge us and transform us. When we baptize babies here at Riverside, or when new members join our church, Steve and Bill remind us that our church is a body, and that when someone new joins that body, our body is changed forever. Our body has been transformed. We must embrace our youth, for they are mighty and they will make mistakes, but they need us and we need them. They need to know they are more than their test grades and they are more than their college acceptance. They need to know that there are open ears and arms here, that love and support live here. They need to know and see and experience the love of God from the people of this church so that when they go through those troubled waters or down that lonely road, they know that they are loved by God and they are loved by us that nothing they can do can separate them from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I will now ask Lainey to teach and lead.